0: The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here tonight to study in the word of God, where in our review of the book of Romans, having completed our verse by verse study a while back, we have taken on the review of the material that we covered during this study. And we are now in Romans chapter 12. We just completed verses, excuse me, chapters 9 through 11, which is a discussion about Israel. And now we enter into chapter 12 and we're looking at a discussion about the church. Before we take on the study of the review, if you will, uh, let's take a moment for silent prayer. We do need to ensure that our hearts are prepared for this study. This involves confession of sin, if necessary, but also requires humility. We cannot learn anything from the Word of God if we are filled with pride. If we think we know everything already, then we're not going to learn anything. So it takes humility to be able to learn. So this, this silent prayer gives us the opportunity to prepare our hearts, shall we pray? <coughs> Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to gather here at the church. We thank you for your sustaining grace, without which we would never make it through any given day. But on this day, not only did you sustain us through the day, but you provided for us to be able to be here tonight at the church, to have the opportunity to fellowship one with another, to have the opportunity to pray with one another, as we just did in the corporate prayer meeting. And we thank you for that blessing. We ask now, as we take this time to consider the truth of your word, that you'll help each and every one of us to focus our thoughts, keep our mind focused on what your word is saying to us so that as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand what we're hearing from your word, that we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right. Discussion about the church. A whole new section in our outline because it does transition as we get to chapter 12 starts out this way. Therefore, I strongly urge you, brethren, by the tender mercies of God to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is a logical way of serving as a function of your spiritual worship and stop being conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> One of my personal favorite passages in the, in the Bible. Look at some principles here. Under the Mosaic Law, the people of Israel presented animal sacrifices and grain offerings as part of their service of worship. That was a function of their worship. It was also part of what they did to uh, identify with the animal and uh, and have the idea of the uh, the atonement presented through the ritual uh, offering of the sacrifices. Remember that for them, the reality was what did they have to do if they were a believer? What did they have to do to have their sins forgiven? A lot of people, if you ask them, what did they have to do to have their sins forgiven? Well, they had to sacrifice an animal. Actually, the answer is they needed to confess their sins. Uh, confession was a reality for them back then. Uh, if you look at David and he talked about it in psalm thirty two he talked about it in psalm fifty one confession of sin is what was necessary why didn't why then did they have the sacrificial offering because it is then a visual ritual process by which you can show that you're identifying with the lamb or the other whatever animal you bring as part of the sacrifice and then that animal had to die and it was all pointing to and Part of their worship, and it was all pointing to the one who would come and we don't bring animals today because he's already come. We are looking back to the one who did the perfect lamb, the lamb without blemish has already come and been sacrificed the once and for all sacrifice. But for them, they had sacrifices that they would bring grain offerings they would bring and so on and so forth. The wave offerings, all the different things that are mentioned in the Mosaic law. The animals that were offered were killed to illustrate the need for Christ's death on the cross. That's what I was just talking about. And today, we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. You see, back then, the sacrifice that was offered up didn't live, did it? It was killed. You would bring the animal. You would, you would identify with it. You put your hand on it, and then the animal would be killed. But now, we are able to present ourselves as a living Sacrifice. Romans six thirteen says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and the members of your body to God as weapons of righteousness. And this course we looked at back in chapter six. But look at it It's the really the same language that we have here in Romans 12. The idea of presenting ourselves, presenting ourselves. And we are doing that. We present ourselves as a, an offering, <coughs> excuse me, an offering. A sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Just as the Old Testament sacrifices were to be without blemish. And we'll look at that in Ezekiel forty-three twenty-two through 25. Uh, we must present ourselves to God as a holy sacrifice without blemish. Now, who among us has no sin? Right. But the point of it is how. So how can I then present myself uh, without blemish? The only way is through the forgiveness which we have in Christ. And so even though I have committed sins, as I come, when I come to church, if I'm here and I'm getting ready to be part of a service, whether it be the singing of the hymns, whether it be the study of the word of God, whatever it be, in order for me to present myself in this environment without blemish, I have to I have to have confessed my sins. Right. I have to be forgiven my sins, present myself uh, with all my unrighteousness cleaned away. Right. Our sins are forgiven and I'm cleansed of all unrighteousness through The confession of sin. Well, and, and that would be true, by the way, whatever I'm presenting myself to do. It's not just a church. If I'm presenting myself in any way, whatever it is I'm doing, as unto the Lord, I want to present myself without blemish. Now, what that means is, if I fall into sin, if something happens and I stumble into sin, I need to realize it. Keep what we talk about in terms of a short account. I need to make sure I recognize my sin as quickly as possible, and then confess it so that I can once again be presenting myself. Without blemish, does that make sense? That's the whole idea, right? Doesn't matter, and you could you could be you could be working on an HVAC system, and you're you are you need to present yourself as a, sacri- a living sacrifice without blemish. And the only way you can do that is by uh, making sure that you are not walking around in carnality. Ezekiel forty three twenty two through twenty five says, "On the second day, you shall offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall cleanse the altar." "...as they cleansed it with the bull. When you have finished cleansing it, you shall present a young bull without blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock. You shall present them before the Lord, and the priests shall throw salt on them, and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. For seven days you shall prepare daily a goat for a sin offering and a young bull and a ram from the flock without blemish." Notice what it says. "...also a young bull and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be prepared." So there was an emphasis without blemish. And again, if I'm walking around in my sins, I have a blemish, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality that was being presented in ritual back then, right? Now, today, how is it that I show up without blemish? It's only through the forgiveness that I have through confession. Uh, given that we are sinners saved by grace, this is only possible, as we, that's what I was just talking about, through the grace and mercy of God, as he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, and that's why I was pointing to this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the other key. Remember, it doesn't matter whatever there is, it, whatever there is in, in form of unrighteousness, it's cleansed away. Right. So if you think about it, this is how I like to think about it. So, you know, some people talk about it in terms of a, maybe a sin that I didn't realize I committed and I, I didn't confess because I didn't realize That may be an area that you could be cleansed. But I also think of it in terms of human good. What have I done today, but, you know, before I realized it, while I was carnal, what would I do that was just wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn up, right? And all that gets cleansed away, too. So now I can present myself completely clean. That's the thing, completely clean because of God's grace and His mercy. These daily offerings of ourselves in any and all situations we might find ourselves in make up the Proper form of worship for the church-age believer. And that's what I was saying. In any and every situation, notice what it says, any and all situations, we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And so it's not just special occasions. It's everything throughout the day. We are to present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice without blemish, and we do so through confession of sin. This type of worship makes perfect and logical sense, given that we are not pointing to the sacrifice of Christ to come, but are celebrating the risen and living head of the church. Think about it for a second. Not only not only are we in the reality of him already having gone to the cross, right? I mean, that's they were looking forward to the one that would come, the Mashiach, the anointed one that would come. We already know who it is. We're looking back. But in addition to that, We are celebrating that this is something that hit me when I was going through this passage and studying it. We are celebrating that he not only did he die on the cross for us, he has risen and he is now seated as the living head of the church. Right. We have a living head and a living body. And we are now celebrating that by presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? So they were looking toward the, the, the lamb without blemish that would be sacrificed. They were looking forward to that. We now know who that was, but we not only know that he died on the cross for us, but he was raised again and he is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father as the head of the church. Make sense? We're celebrating that. That's what we're doing when we present ourselves as that living sacrifice. Our daily presence, presentations to God now... Help us to prepare for our ultimate presentation of the judgment seat. Think about that for a second. I am going to be presented before the judgment seat, right? That's going to happen, just a matter of when. It's going to happen. I'm going to be presented presented before the judgment seat. But I have an opportunity now, if you want to think of it this way, I have an opportunity now to kind of prepare myself through my daily presentations. Now, this we read earlier, Romans 6.13 we read earlier. I'm going to read on from there to talk about presenting ourselves to God, you know, members of our body to God as weapons of righteousness for sin shall not have mastery over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to something as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that thing, excuse me, the thing which you obey, either slaves of sin resulting in death or Slaves of obedience to God, resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of sound teaching to which you were entrusted. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Now see the language of that. Oh, I'm sorry, i was going to go through verse 19. One more verse here. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the members of your body as slaves to immorality and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present the members of your body as slaves of uh, slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now you notice there's language that's interesting in here, because in verse 18, he says, you became enslaved to righteousness. Having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. But then in the very next verse, He exhorts them to present the members of their bodies as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What that means is this is this is one of those beautiful passages where you can look at positional truth. As opposed to your daily walk, right, because positional truth is in verse 18. We were set free from sin and we were made slaves to righteousness. God did that. Right. That's already happened. It's already been done. But day by day by day. We need to make sure that we present the members of our body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So there's there's positional truth and then the reality of the day-by-day walk right there in one verse right after the other. And that's what I love about the way Paul presents these things. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Now, if you think about it, we read that passage all the time and If you think about it, it goes on to say as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth, as the King James would translate it. The idea is we present ourselves approved to God. It's very similar language to what we have here in Romans 12. I'm presenting myself to God. Now, in Romans 12, it talks about as a living sacrifice, right? Romans 12 is emphasizing the idea of I'm a living sacrifice. I'm not. I'm not under the Old Testament where I'm bringing a sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. And I'm not, as a sacrifice, I'm not dying. I'm a living sacrifice. But here, it's talking about presenting myself approved. So approval is what's emphasized in this this particular verse. Approval. The approval of God. And then it goes on to say, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So part of. That's what I love about the way Scripture builds on Scripture, part of what it is that we do in order to present ourselves to God in the proper way, right? Because if, I, if you add this on to what we had in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want to present myself as a living and holy sacrifice to God and be approved by Him, right? That's what we have here. Well, what's part of that process? Handling the word of the truth, studying the word of God, rightly dividing it, understanding different categories of Scripture, understanding the distinctions between uh, Israel and the church. All the things that we do as we study the Scriptures, that's part of what we do in order to present ourselves approved to God. Does that make sense? It's all part of the process. So it's, it's part, of, part of what we can do in our daily lives to meet the approval of God. Romans 14.10, it says, But you, why do you judge your brother, or you also... Uh, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Where we will all, this language of standing before the judgment seat, right? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's basically being presented. We are presented before the judgment seat. So that presentation's coming. But we have daily opportunities to present ourselves to God now. We don't have to wait until the judgment seat. We have daily opportunities to present ourselves to God right now. now the world around us tempts us to conform to its standards. Or lack thereof. By the way, it wasn't that long ago when we were in Romans 12, but to me that's even more significant now. I mean, I can't believe how rapidly we're going straight down the toilet. I mean, I'm seeing the swirl of the water as we go down. I mean, it's horrible what is happening. I mean, these people unabashedly, I just read yesterday or today about some teacher that unabashedly presented just this filth and trash to their students at school. And it's like, what are you talking about? Why why are you okay with that? Anyway, the standards that, that, that the world claims to have, uh, they're trying to get us to conform to that. And, and and it's become even more aggressive. Because now first first it was this idea of we wanna be this way, we wanna we wanna think this way and we wanna be this way and what we want you to accept us. Right? That's what it used to be, right? Now, what you have going on is not that anymore. You either accept us or you are wrong. You're the bad person if you don't accept us because you're, you're, the, you're the intolerant one. You're the whatever else it is. And so it's gone from wanting acceptance to wanting it to become forced on all of us. Where we have, Not only do they want us to accept them, they want us to agree with them. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference between those two. I can accept that somebody lives the life, you know, lives the the homosexual lifestyle. I can accept that, but I don't have to agree with it, right? Now, if I don't agree with it, I'm bad somehow. So they're really trying to conform us to that. But conformity to the world tarnishes that holy offering. If we want to actually be able to offer ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice, you can't conform yourself to the world. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours and your ignorance. But in accordance with the one who called you, who is holy in all conduct, become holy yourselves also, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, that's the whole thing. We can't fulfill Romans 12, 1 and 2 if we conform to the world system. You can't. You cannot present yourself to God as a living and holy sacrifice. And church, there's believers all over the world trying to do that right now. And there's churches all over the world trying to do that right now. They're trying to conform to the things of the world, and yet still, I, I personally, I'm serious when I say this. We, we call this room, even though I, I don't know what you really should properly call, but we call this room the sanctuary, right? It's, this is our sanctuary here at this church. I would be embarrassed to call this room a sanctuary if we were doing that, if we, were, if we had rainbows hanging on the walls and we were doing all the things that churches are doing to bring world system garbage into the church this wouldn't be a sanctuary anymore would it i not in my opinion so the idea you cannot you cannot fulfill romans 12 1 and 2 without uh without walking in holiness that's part of the part of what it takes you can't conform to the world system the, the transformation that takes place in us by the word of God through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, enables us to be a living sacrifice, which is good, acceptable and perfect. Think about that a second. This passage. We looked at the second Timothy passage that talks about being diligent, being approved by God, accurately handling the word of truth. This passage talks about a transformation. The transformation by the renewing of the mind that takes place in us. And that's part of part of and parcel with what it takes to be able to present yourself as that living and holy sacrifice. If you think about it as a as a believer, let's say let's say I'm a, I'm I'm a born again believer and I you know you all know I've I've told the story many times I got saved when I was 17. Let's say if I got saved when I was 17 and I never spent one single day studying the Bible. I never went to church, I never studied the Bible, I never thought about it. Even if I even if I happen to confess confess my sins, right? 40-some-odd years later, I haven't grown in my faith at all. There's been really no transformation of me by the renewing of the mind. The Holy Spirit hasn't been working on me whatsoever. What What kind of a sacrifice am I offering? I mean, in my opinion, if that's the case, because what does God's Word tell me? Well, God's Word tells me I should not be an infant anymore. By now, you should be mature. You should be, you know, the, the scriptures say all these different things about what you should be. So if I was if that were the case, if that were descriptive of me and 46 years later, I'm still an infant in Christ. Then to me, it's like what what, what the Israelites were doing when they brought a, a, a lamb with a broken leg that they didn't really want anymore. They just brought that lamb with the broken leg and they offered it right because they didn't they didn't want to give their their perfect one. They wanted to bring this. up. Well, that's what I've done. I'm presenting myself as a believer that's been a believer for 46 years and I haven't ever grown in the faith at all. So what kind of an offering am I making to God? This passage makes it clear that if you want to be that good and acceptable and perfect sacrifice, you need to be growing in the faith. It's part it's, it goes with it. Because why? Because that's God's will for us. I mean, I'm outside of God's will If I'm not really ever growing in the faith. Well, let's look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Uh, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice that same language here in Ephesians chapter four. It talks about putting on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. But notice what it says. We have this renewing that takes place. It's part of the process. It is what we're doing. It's what we do when we're actually walking in the newness of this new self. When we're walking in that which has been created in righteousness and holiness, the truth, there will be a renewing. Now, there's I hear all the time. I read it all the time in devotionals. I hear it all the time being said, well, if if you really did believe in Jesus, then you will grow in your faith. No, that's not true, because the reality of it is it takes daily decisions, doesn't it? Daily choices. It's not an automatic. It takes daily choices. And so the idea of this renewing happening, if, you, if it's just an automatic renewal, no, that's not true at all. There's exhortations all over Scripture. We will not be renewed if we just ignore the truth, if we turn away from the Bible, if we allow ourselves to be conformed to the things of the world. You're not going to be renewed in your mind. That transformation is not going to happen. It happens only as we're diligent, as we make the decisions day by day to walk in the manner that's worthy. Our sacrifice is indeed directed toward God, but it will serve to demonstrate his good, acceptable and perfect will to the world around us. This is something we need to realize. I am presenting myself to God, but I'm visible to people all around me. So as I... I'm using Keegan. I'm using you as you do your job and you're doing repairing an HVAC system. You do your job. You can do that job as under the Lord. You can present yourself to God while you're doing it. And as you do it. People are going to see it. People are going to watch you. They're going to notice it. And you can you are going to be a witness to people around you. They are going to be able to observe his good, acceptable and perfect will in you. That's what we want. Now, how many of us. How many of us do that one hundred percent of the time? none of us right? I mean we fail. we fail. If you think i don't then you've got we need we need to have a talk because you're just, trust me when I tell you we had someone from the church, we had someone from the church who was out on highway seventy one and I was out on highway seventy one at the same time and a situation happened, and I got really upset about what was happening because it was one of those deals where there was a rolling roadblock you know what i'm talking about we're going down 71 and we're going 45 maybe 50 miles an hour it's this rolling roadblock and it was one of those truck drivers the situations where a truck driver should have known better and he's in the left-hand lane right blocking the whole thing there's a line of cars going back as far as you can see and i'm just like what is going on here right at first at first when i got into the mess i didn't even know so I'm pulling myself over on the side of the road trying to see what's going on, and I'm just losing it, right? I Believe me, I was carnal. I'm not even going to hide it from you. I was carnal. And someone from the church saw that, and they got upset because I got because I was having a moment of carnality. Folks, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't want you to think anything else. If you think that I don't make those kinds of mistakes and fall into that kind of thing, you're wrong. But the reality of, the reality of it is that wasn't a very good witness, was it? I wasn't really doing what I needed to do to present. I wasn't presenting myself to God in a holy way, was I? And so I was a bad witness at that point. What was that? I was probably a stumbling block, but but the the reality of it is uh, I didn't know that that individual was there. And they should recognize that I'm a sinner. If 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 they have a standard for me that somehow puts me on a pedestal and makes me... Some person who never commits sins, then they've got a problem with their, their understanding of reality. Because I'm a sinner just like anybody else. Uh, while, this will be, while this will be, when we do this, let me go back because I was given my example. Uh, as our, again, our sacrifice is directed toward God, but will demonstrate his good, acceptable, and perfect will to the world around us. While this will be a sweet-smelling aroma to other believers, the unbelievers of the world may find us to be quite foul-smelling. That's what the scripture says. Second Corinthians uh, two fifteen and 16 says we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Right. In other words, around believers, we're a fragrance. And that's that's a fragrance of Christ. That's going to be a good fragrance, isn't it? We're a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. uh, The interesting thing is what happens here to one, an aroma from death to death. So it's interesting how he reverses the order here. But to the one an aroma from death to death, that's not a good one. Right. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? So the idea is we're going to stink. We're going to smell foul to the unbelievers. They aren't going to like it at all, because if we're really doing what we're supposed to be doing and we're representing Jesus Christ, they don't want to hear about that, do they? And in fact, that's when they will get even more and more upset because you know, oh, you think you're better than I am. No, I don't. But at the same time, I understand the righteousness of God and I understand his righteous standards. I'm not going to walk away from that. But So I'm going to be a fragrance of Christ and it's either going to be a nice fragrance to those who are believers or it's going to be an aroma from death to death. And, you know, if you think about it in a way, one of the things that's really interesting about that phrasing that Paul uses here is that. To an extent, what's going, one of the things that's going on, I believe, is that when they see you as a follower of Christ and that you're someone who has a relationship with God, deep down inside, a lot of them know. They know that God is real, but they're doing everything they can to fight against it, and you're making them think about that. You know what I'm saying? You're making them recognize The reality that God is there and they don't want it. They don't want they don't want you to make them think about that. They want to just ignore most people just want to walk around in ignorant bliss. right? And you're making them think about the reality that God is is real. In either case, whether it's the foul smelling to the unbelievers or the beautiful smell to the believers, the life of a believer who is walking in as a living and holy sacrifice will be a tremendous witness to believers and unbelievers alike. You don't know in that case for the unbeliever who smells that foul smell. Maybe at some point that's going to trigger something. It's going to plant a seed. and It's going to trigger something. And that was something that was, uh, I think, kind he asked me a question at one point about whether or not, you know, when you, when you, do you have to actually say something to someone in order to be a witness for Christ? And my answer was, no, we, we can witness for Christ in what we do. I mean, we should, we should relish those opportunities when we can talk to someone about, about Christ but we, are, we can absolutely show people Christ without asking a question or talking to them. Uh, we're going to be a witness one way or the other. And, and you never know what happens. I mean, that, that stinky smell to that unbeliever may be something that triggers them to, to think about life a little bit and death a little bit. Function of members. This is a function of the members in the, in, the, in the body of Christ. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to use sound judgment as God has allotted to each believer a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same active function, in the same way we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have this, I worded this very verbosely, but I did it on purpose because that's what was being expressed here. Since we have spiritual gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each gifted believer should actively function accordingly. If one has the spiritual gift of prophecy, he should actively use that gift according to the proportion of his faith. If one has the spiritual gift of service, he should actively use that gift in serving others. If one is a gifted teacher, he should actively use his gift in teaching others. If one is a gifted exhorter, he should actively use his gift in exhorting others. If one is a gifted Giver he should actively use his gift in generosity toward others if one is a gifted leader he should actively use his gift with diligence if one is a gifted shower of mercy he should actively use his gift with a heart of gladness the point of it is all of us should be active in using our gifts and it depends on what the gift is as to how it's going to be applied let's look at some principles. Paul warns against the sin of arrogance multiple times in the book of Romans. He warns about it in Romans 11:20. He says, rightly so, but they were broken off for their unbelief, and you have, you have standing by means of your faith. Stop being conceited, but instead show proper respect. That was back in the section talking about Israel. Now here in 12:3, which we just looked at, uh, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to use sound judgment. No no arrogance. Down in verse 16, same chapter, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but instead associate with the lowly. Stop being wise in your own estimation. If you think you're wise, then you're un- then you're not. That's the that's the whole thing. If you if you actually think, well, I have all this wisdom, and that's the funny thing. If you look at it in uh, you know, I can in some of the various religions, they actually elevate these people as these uh, these gurus, right? You have the guru who's the wise one who can give all the information, and they elevate that person. Uh, the wise one is God, and that is our understanding, and we want to always keep that in mind. As our mind is being renewed we develop the capacity to utilize sound judgment in evaluating ourselves and others. Now this is really important. Far too often we are really we, we can we can come become really 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 sophisticated and really really accurate in our minds anyway in evaluating other people. And I can get to the point where I can say, you know, I know what I know what that person needs. I know what they need to do, right? And and I joke about it, but my next oldest brother, that was one of his favorite sayings. He'd walk up and say, let me tell you what you need to do. <laughs> that's what he would say. <laughs> um, but we're not quite as good when it comes to evaluating ourselves. And that's why that passage about the, the splinter and the log is so important, right? Because we're, we're highlighting the fact that somebody else has a splinter in their eye and we don't even recognize we've got a log in ours we need to get to the point, and our, as our faith grows, as we begin to understand more and more, we need to get to the place where we're, we're better at evaluating ourselves. And, but, and it will happen. If you're, if you're honest and you're humble, if it will happen. You'll get the opportunity to begin to see more and more of your own shortcomings, and you won't want them to be around anymore. You will want God to work on those, and it will be a matter of prayer, in fact. Um, so we're going to get that capacity to, to evaluate ourselves and others. Uh, resulting humility reflects grace orientation, right? I mean, if you get to that point where you're humble enough to really be able to see yourself for what you are, uh, that shows grace orientation. First Corinthians 4, 6 and 7 says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We read verse 7 all the time, but it's actually even more powerful, I think, in context when you bring in verse 6. You know, who, what do you have that you didn't receive? You know, and in this case, the uh, Corinthians, they had they had been blessed by Paul coming to speak at the church. You know, Pastor Bob likes to call it Corinth Bible Church. He, Paul showed up at that church in Corinth and he spoke there. So did Apollos. And they, get into, they got into this whole thing where they were trying to decide who was the best, right? Do you like Apollos? Do you like Paul? Oh, no, I don't like either one. I like Jesus. And, and even that was divisive in, in its own way. And, and so he's saying, look, you know, what, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you act as, you, as though you didn't? 1 Corinthians fifteen ten 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, But I labeled labor, excuse me, even more than all of them, yet not but I, but the grace of God with me. So, again, grace orientation. When you when you have proper grace orientation. You begin to you begin to realize exactly what Paul is saying here, that I the uh, the only thing I have that's of any value came from God in the first place. And his grace did not prove vain. That's that's I want to be able to say that I want to be able to say his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. In other words, I recognize that whatever I've been able to accomplish, whatever it is that I have that's of any real value, it came from God. That doesn't mean I don't have to work. It doesn't mean I don't have to spend the time studying and preparing and so on and so forth. So the resulting humility reflects grace orientation and imitates Christ. We're going to look at this in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or inflated self-worth. But with humility of mind, think of one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely give consideration to your own personal interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, in in, in saying that, Paul acknowledges that we do have to tend to our own personal interests, but we need to be aware of the interests of others and have a heart for others, considering them more important than ourselves. It goes on down into verse 5, develop this mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he is... In essence, God did not view equality with God as something which can be acquired. And by the way, if you remember, when we studied Philippians, the whole idea is that that sort of was a thing in the Roman culture that one of the Caesars, for example, could acquire God status. Right. Could become a God Uh, that was something that you could acquire. Uh, But that's why he says this here, although he is in essence God did not view equality with God as something which can be acquired. In other words, you can't just acquire that. You either are or you aren't. But divested himself of his divine privileges, taking the essence of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of mankind. And in this form, while being recognized as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if our Savior... Could Do that as an example remember we we celebrate in communion for example, we celebrate his life and his death if he humbled himself and presented himself to his father from the standpoint of humility when he was here at the during the first advent if that's how he approached it shouldn't we follow his example absolutely we should we should operate the same way that he did from that standpoint of humility. And he, he showed us, as a witness, he showed us how to rely upon God in order to be able to accomplish whatever he did during his first Advent ministries. And we need to rely upon God as well. The human body is a great illustration of the way individual, unique believers are united in the body of Christ. If you think about it, it's perfect. because I mean, Your body is made up of so many different parts that do so many different things. And again, in, in reality, if you clear the decks and you get rid of all the you get rid of all the blindness that satan has put on people's eyes if you clear the decks you have an open mind you're able to think clearly and you study the human body you can't come to any other conclusion but that god exists because this is not something that would happen randomly or accidentally it just would not there's no way the functions that go on in your body every day that you know i mean one of the things that amazes me is, you know, I open up my pie hole and I throw whatever down in there and it just gets processed, right? I mean, unless I put poison in there or something, I, I, can throw, I can throw a cracker in there. I can throw a chunk of meat in there. I can throw whatever in there and it just gets processed. That's pretty incredible, is it not? But if you start talking about your liver function, your feet, your hands, your head, you know, all these different things that we have in our body and the way they all operate in a different way, it's a beautiful illustration of the body of Christ. Because the reality of it is we're all different. I mean, as I look around this room, folks, y'all are all different. You know, and I know all of you pretty well to know your personalities. And you're all different. There's not two of you. There's not two of you alike. I w- if I were if I were putting you guys into categories, you each would have your own category. There would be no two people in the same category. You're all different. And my wife is the weirdest one of all, by the way. <laughs> Ephesians four sixteen. She is. Something, that's for sure. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. Now, that's a huge statement right there. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See, that's the whole thing. If, if, I, have, if I have part of my body that's not functioning right, what happens? It's going to be a struggle for me, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we have people in this room uh, who deal with, deal with things. That are make their lives difficult to navigate because have, they have body functions that don't work like they should. They deal with pain. They deal with whatever else it might be. Uh, but the reality of it is, in order for everything, in order for you to be healthy and, and functioning like you're supposed to be, all your body parts should be functioning. The same thing's true with the body of Christ. We are going to be a stronger, better church if everybody that's part of this church is proper in proper working order. Think about it that way. If, every, if all the believers are in proper working order, if everybody's doing well spiritually, then we as a local church are going to be doing well spiritually. That's just how it works. Further down in verse 25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's an inter, you know, the interesting language, the idea we're members of one another. That's an, that's an interconnected facet of the body of Christ. We're, we're interconnected for all of eternity, folks. I am connected with you and you're connected with me as part of the body of Christ. And that's an eternal thing. We're going to be we're going to be interconnected that way for all of eternity. In Ephesians 530, it just says because we are members of his body. Now, that's, you know, we're members of one another. We're members of his body. He's the head. We are the body. Colossians 124. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf and in my flesh. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in supplying a necessary part of Christ's afflictions, which nobody wants to hear about that. But see, that's where it says his body, which is the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's one and the same. And then in Colossians 2, 19, not focusing on the head from whom the entire body being supported and knit together by the ligaments and tendons grows spiritually with a spiritual growth, which is from God. We are supposed to recognize that the entire body, we're all knit together we all are joined together just as our human body is joined together. We grow spiritually with a spiritual growth, which is from God. And again, we we just saw a verse earlier in this class where it says we need to be diligent in order to be found approved by God, presenting ourselves as a workman who need not be ashamed. That's So there's diligence required. But where does the growth come from? It comes from God. You know, you hear me say it all the time from this pulpit or from beside the pulpit but you hear me say it all the time but we need to be reminded of it constantly because it's so easy our sin nature it's so easy for our sin nature to start thinking that we're the ones accomplishing it we're the ones that are doing it you got to recognize no i might i might have to put some effort into this but god's the one who's bringing it about otherwise it's not happening if god doesn't make it happen it's not happening the baptism of the Spirit which has united these many members, each one with a unique function, into one body. The baptism of the Spirit made that happen. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable... On these, we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. There's a lot in that passage. We all do better if everybody else does better, right? If one of us is suffering, then we all suffer. The reality of it is everybody, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what individual you're talking about that's part of the body of Christ. It's an important part of the body. And we're not supposed to look at someone and say, well, that individual doesn't really matter. That's not true. All members matter, just like the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. That's not true. Uh, all, every member of the body is, is needed. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. Open doors for ministry come through Jesus Christ, and the effective of ministry is provided by God the Father. This is, I love this little passage here in 1 Corinthians 12 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit, there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. In other words, spirit supplies the gifts. The Lord opens the door for ministry and the God, God, the father, excuse me, produces the effects of the ministry. He's the one who's behind the effectiveness of ministry. Now, here's here's something I should point out, by the way. Earlier, when I was reading the passage that we're in right now, there were some gifts mentioned in that that are no longer active functions today, right? We went through and we talked about if if you have the gift of prophecy, then you should do blah, blah, blah. Well, there's no prophecy anymore. There's nobody prophesying again. Prophecy has come to an end. By the way, he talks about that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Prophecy comes to an end. uh, And prophecy resumes. When does prophecy resume? It actually resumes. There's going to be prophecy that's going to happen that's promised to happen in the millennial kingdom, but there'll be prophecy. Prophecy will begin again in the tribulation. You'll have prophecy during the tribulation. But for now, we don't need prophecy anymore. Because remember that what's the main purpose of prophecy is not to predict things that are going to happen in the in the future. The main purpose of prophecy is to deliver God's word to mankind. That's what prophets do. They deliver God's word to mankind. Well, we have the completed canon of scripture don't we so why do we need prophets running around there's no more there's no more to deliver but when paul wrote this the canon wasn't complete right there were still prophets if there were functioning prophets the gifts of tongues that hadn't faded away yet you know we know that that, that came to an end uh, so the reality of it is there were there were spiritual gifts that were functioning at the time that paul wrote this that are no longer active gifts and if you go uh, by the way, it's right on front, front and center on the front page of our website. It talks about, you know, the, the currently active gifts. It doesn't name them off, but it mentions that we, we, we abide by the, the gifts that are currently active in the church today. Uh, spiritual gifts have differing functions, yet the same design and purpose. And this, is, this is important in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you, given that he has received a grace gift, serving your gift To each other as good stewards of the diverse and abundant grace of God, so we're supposed to be serving it. We're supposed to be serving our gift to each other. And what's the idea of that? Is that's what the gifts are all about. If we go down to verse 11, you can then see it talks about the speaking gifts and the serving gifts and all that. But even the speaking gifts, isn't that really all about serving one another? That's why I say if you want to know what your spiritual gift is. that's fantastic. I will do everything I can to help you try to surmise what your spiritual giftedness is. Because if God gave you that gift, don't you think he wants you to use it? Right? So there's a giftedness that you've been given. And I can tell you right now, one of the key things about it is it was given to you so that you might serve others with it, not serve yourself. It's a gift that's given to you in order to serve the other people in the church. The seven spiritual gifts listed here in Romans chapter 12 must be evaluated in the context of the greater development of spiritual gifts done by Paul in 1st Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 and that's what I was just talking about a minute ago. If you really want to see the definitive passage on spiritual gifts, it's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, chapters 12 through 14. And it talks about a lot of different things and by the way, and that's the context for the love passage, right? is in the context of spiritual giftedness. The church age spiritual gifts of prophecy was one of the in-part gifts, and that's what I was talking about a minute ago, that were done away when the perfect, complete thing came. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Love never fails was the end of that love passage. It says, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. Now, I want you to notice the differing language here. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. Now, that language difference is there for a reason. If there's knowledge... It will be done away. Now, this is not talking about knowledge as in the things that we learn. It's talking about a gift of knowledge. It was a spiritual gift that was given. Now, look what it says here in verse 9. This is so critical. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So he just addressed two of the gifts that he talked about, prophecy and knowledge. Prophecy and knowledge. We know in part. We prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. The point of it is, with this gift of knowledge and the gift of prophecy were to convey things of the Word of God, to be able to have an understanding of the things of the Word of God. Those were partial gifts. In other words, they did not give the whole story. Right? This is the whole point. This whole idea of in part, part, that's partial. And when you get to the idea of when the perfect and why, by the way, this is a neuter. It's a perfect thing. The uh, another way to translate that is complete. That word that's there, teleos, it means complete. And so when the when the complete thing comes right now, we have just partial things. But when the complete comes, the partial is going to be done away. We don't need the partial anymore because we got the complete thing so that now we have the completed canon of Scripture. This can't be Jesus Christ, by the way, because it's it's in the neuter. It's not referring to a person. It's referring to a thing. So the partial will be done away. But here's what I want you to notice. That did not explain tongues. Tongues will cease. But tongues ceasing actually does not have anything to do with the completed canon of Scripture. Tongues ceased because they ceased to have a purpose. What was the purpose of tongues? The purpose of tongues was to reveal a message to the dispersed jews y'all remember this so there were jews at the time the gift of tongues was given there were jews that had been dispersed all over the place the diaspora it's called they had been dispersed all over the place well when they would come into jerusalem to worship that most of them didn't even know hebrew they didn't know anything about hebrew right they spoke whatever language of the country they lived in now all of a sudden you got these people who were able to walk up to them and speak in that language and we're talking about people who are not well-educated individuals. They had been given a spiritual gift. They would speak to them in that language. What do you think they were telling them? They were probably telling them, you know what, you need to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to repent. You need to recognize that you're wrong. You need to, you need to know that he's the one. It was a message of repentance for them, right, a change of mind. Now, here's the whole thing. Once that, that, that message had been delivered, once that warning had been issued to all the dispersed Jews all around in that area, once that had been delivered, why do we need tongues anymore? What's the purpose of tongues at that point? The the warning had already been issued. And then when you look at the uh, ultimate sacking of Jerusalem, now after Jerusalem is sacked in 70 AD by the Romans, are people going to come and gather anymore? There's no temple to come to anymore, right? There's no temple for them to come to anymore. So the whole idea of the tongues is it just faded away. It ceased, as this says. It ceased, and it did so when there really wasn't a usefulness for it anymore. Now, I'm going to pick on Marsha over here. Let's say Marsha was a was a believer at that time who received the gift of tongues. Well, she would have that gift all the way until she go, went to heaven, right, until she passed away. She would have that gift of tongues. She, it wouldn't necessarily have a purpose or a function toward the end of her life, maybe, but she still would have that spiritual gift because it was given at the moment of her salvation. So ultimately, the gift of tongues ceased as the individuals who were given the the gift died off. That's what that's how it went away, right? That's what happened. They all ended up dying off, and that's why in First Corinthians, Paul has to talk to the people about tongues and what they're doing in the church with tongues and so on and so forth, because it was still functioning at that time, but it doesn't anymore. And anybody who tells you, by the way, that all the gifts are still active, just don't tell them that they're wrong. Just say, take them to this passage and say, okay, when are, when are those gifts going to be done away? And when are tongues going to cease? When, when does that happen? And get them to explain to you God's timeline for when those those events are going to occur. Because I can tell you that it's already happened, but they would tell you that maybe it hasn't happened yet. Okay, well, all right, what's going to happen? Is it going to happen at the rapture? And people who say that, I say to myself, I say to them, too, I say, all right, well, if if that happens, then really aren't all the church age spiritual gifts done away with at that point? Why did Paul need why did Paul need to take the time to talk about prophecy and knowledge and it being done away? Why did he need to mention that tongues would cease? Because at the rapture, all your church age spiritual gifts will come to an end because the church is over. Right. Right. You guys following me on that? So the rapture can't be the answer. So that means it's got to happen sometime between now and the rapture. What is it? What's going to happen? And usually they don't have an answer to that question. All right. Let me see where we are. We've got a lot to go through here, don't we? So they think the perfect thing is is the millennial kingdom when the Messiah is reigning in the throne. That's interesting. That's what the Holman says. That's interesting. Uh, I don't think it makes sense. If you think about the idea of what the partial is and what the complete is the partial was this partial. You had you had just part of God's word available. Right. Just a partial. I mean, now we have the whole thing. Right. That, that makes much more sense. It would be the completed canon of scripture to me. All right. Um We'll come back to this. The principle that the believer with the gift of prophecy must use that gift according to proportion of his faith applies to all other gifts. That's the thing we'll talk about in this whole passage. It says do, use do use this gift with diligence. Use this gift in accordance with your faith. Use this gift. It, actually, all those apply to all the gifts. And we're going to we're going to see that even though it's mentioned in that way. We need to we need to all be diligent about using our gifts. We need to all be using our gift in accordance with our faith. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. He at the time at the time he there, there exactly. the exactly that the idea is the idea that Paul was saying is right now all we have is partial, but then the complete thing is going to come. He didn't know that it was going to be called the the Bible that we have today. He didn't know he. In fact, he didn't know how many books there were going to be in it. Right? He had no idea. He didn't know for sure how that was going to happen. He wasn't sure what it was going to look like, but God gave him the understanding that there was going to be a complete thing that was going to come. And when it did, it was going to get rid of those partial things. Now we know what it is, right? We know that it's the Bible, but you're right, Keegan. He didn't know what it was. That's why he just called it a complete thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and uh, close in prayer. We'll come back to this. Heavenly Father, thank you for the... Opportunity to spend this time in your word and thank you for just how wonderful and precious your word is to us It just nourishes our souls It's just such an amazing blessing to be able to talk about these things and I thank you for the questions that came up and I just I I pray that we can all just give consideration to uh, The amazing blessing that we have as part of the church the way we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice We don't have to bring animals in and we're not looking at typology and all that we're living the reality right now and we present ourselves as a, as a holy sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice to you. And I thank you that we are members of a body, the body of Christ, as part of the church, that we have this connection to one another. It's a, it's a source of, of true strength for me to have believers around me that are like-minded, that I can talk to about things. And it's just an amazing blessing to be associated with all, the, all these believers. And I thank you for the, the way it works. I thank you for the, the function that we're all different. But we all function together, and, 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 and when it works like it's supposed to, Father, it's just a beautiful thing to witness. And I thank you for the way you're at work in this local church and the people that come to it. I thank you for the, just the amazing, incredible work that you do in our lives every single day. And, Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.